The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To the pulpit, he would say this to himself, I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. And as Doug mentioned that this morning, it's something I often say to myself as I'm walking up, knowing that it is going to be God's Spirit who's going to illumine His Word uh, to the hearts of His people. And our text this morning is Galatians chapter 6, verses 11 through 18. So that uh, today wraps up our study through the book of Galatians. It's a wonderful book that has helped us understand the Old Covenant, that has helped us understand a very vital distinction, the distinction between the law and the gospel. Several reformers said that if you don't have the law and the gospel down, uh, you essentially lose Christianity. That all errors come from not distinguishing between the law and the gospel. And so this book has helped us in that. Paul has defended uh, the gospel. Paul says that if you hear any other gospel than the one he proclaimed to you, uh, he is not just to... Um, you know, be regarded as not as highly, he is to be accursed. So that is how serious this is. So we wrap up uh, this book this morning with verses 11 through 18, Galatians 6. So let's now give our attention to God speaking to us by his Spirit in his word. Galatians 6, verse 11. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good show in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Well, be the flower fades and the grass withers, the word of our God endures forever. This is the word of God. May he now add his blessing to the preaching of it. Well, many years ago, I worked in retail. And one of the things that they would tell us is that if you received a $50 bill or higher, you had to check for authenticity, marks of authenticity. So we would hold it up to the light and we would see if it had a certain watermark on it, if it had a stripe on it. And of course, you know, it almost seemed insulting doing this to this person, but it's something that they called us to do. And we would have a magic pen that we would mark the bill with and if it turned a certain color, it would indicate that the bill was authentic, that it was not counterfeit. And so we had to look for these marks in order to determine whether or not this was authentic or if this was counterfeit. And in a way, Paul is, has been doing that in this letter to the Galatians. He has been giving them distinguishing marks between 
that which is authentic Christianity and that which is false. And he has been defending his gospel as received from God directly versus that of the false teachers, the Judaizers who say that they have the true gospel, they have the word of God rightly applied, and so you need the mark of true fellowship with God, which is circumcision. But Paul says that is not a true mark of Christianity. Rather, what counts is a new creation. And so what we're going to look at in our passage today are distinguishing marks of counterfeit and authentic Christianity. And so first, we are going to look at a true mark in verse 11, then we're going to go to the false marks in verses 12 through 13, and then back to the true mark in verses 14 and 18. So first, verse 11, Paul says, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. And so when Paul says he's writing with his own hand, it may seem like no big deal because that's how we write letters, right? We, write, we don't write letters anymore. We send emails and texts and that sort of thing. But we can do it ourselves. But back in that day, when you were to write a letter, you would go through a professional letter writer called an amanuensis. And Paul would often use one of these. For example, in his letter to Romans, it begins with Paul, a servant of Christ. But then when you get to the end of the letter, it says, I, Tertius, who wrote this letter to you, greet you as well. And so what's going on is Paul used Tertius, who also happens to be a Christian, as his professional letter writer, as an amanuensis. Paul dictated to him what he wanted written. But sometimes one of the marks of authenticity, as Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 3.17, is that he would write a letter with his own hand. Now, the other way to authenticate a letter is to send the letter by the hand of somebody that both parties mutually knew. But sometimes it was writing with his own hand. And Paul seems to be doing this in order to say, no, this comes from me. This is the true gospel. This is what I believe. Don't believe anything else but what I write to you in this letter. Remember, they were even claiming that Paul was teaching circumcision. We saw that in Galatians 5.11. But he also wrote in big letters, either throughout the entirety of this letter, or I think particularly at this juncture of the letter, in order to, I think, mock these false teachers. As if, Paul, in a mocking way, is saying, look at me, make a big show and draw attention to myself. And then he goes on to immediately talk about the false teachers making a good showing in the flesh. And that brings us to false mark. And that is verse 12. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. So under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul gives the motives of these false teachers. Paul says that the reason why he that they want the Galatians to be circumcised is not because it's this altruistic motive. Oh, we just want you to be whole. We want you to be obedient to God. God commanded it during the Old Testament. Rather, Paul says it's because of fear and it's because of boasting. So first, fear. Paul says that they want to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Now it's clear from the book of Acts that 
the leading Jews were the ones who were primarily doing the persecuting. We see that they are the ones that caused Paul trouble. They stirred up the crowd against him. They stoned Stephen. They persecuted the church. Then they plotted to kill Paul. They stirred up crowds against him. And even Peter was afraid of the circumcision party because of their influence. But there was a way to avoid persecution, even if you wanted to hang out with Christians. Even if you wanted to say, yeah, I embrace Jesus as well. There is one thing that you could do to avoid persecution and get them off your back, and that was to make sure you upheld the law of Moses, the custom of Moses, chief of which was to get circumcised. And Paul is saying the reason they get circumcised is order to avoid this persecution. And so they say, yeah, it's okay to claim Jesus, but as long as you don't set aside Moses. So rather than simply saying that trusting in Christ alone and nothing else for your righteous standing before God, that you have all that you need in Christ in order to stand before God and that you add nothing to that. They said, yes, Christ, of course, Christ, but also this if you want to have a righteous standing before God. And they did it in order to get the Jewish leaders off their back and avoid being persecuted. And it is also to boast in the Galatian circumcision. Verse 13, For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. So this is how they're making a good showing in the flesh getting the Gentile Galatians circumcised so that they may boast about it. They wanted to show how much they had accomplished. They wanted to please the Judaizers. Usually when somebody's afraid of somebody, they also want to try to please them, and that's what they're doing here. They wanted to boast about the things that they were performing. It it reminds me of, of my former ministry in Montana, which was in the SBC, the Southern Baptist Convention convention when I first got there. We would receive a card in the mail uh, once a year that we were to fill out and return to them. And it and it asked certain questions. Not how may we pray for you, not you know, here's some here's some encouragement, but rather how many baptisms have you done? How many people attend your church? How many conversions have you affected? How many people come to Sunday school? And my report was pretty pathetic. But that is boasting in the flesh. Reminds me of a certain pastor within that same denomination who recently stood up at the annual general assembly and recounted how many baptisms he's done, how many millions of people he had impacted. But this is boasting in the flesh. This is glorying in oneself. And this is not a genuine concern and love for others, but rather a self-centered, self-interested, selfish focus that uses others for one's own glory. Use others so I could boast in myself. And this is why Paul says that though they are circumcised, they don't keep the law. And that's a major problem. You know why? Because of what Paul said earlier in Galatians. If you get circumcised, you are obligated to keep the whole law perfectly, personally, perpetually. You cannot fail at any point. Paul says, 
They do this, but they don't keep the law themselves. They don't keep the law by the mere fact that no one keeps it, but also as evidenced by their self-love and using the Galatians to protect themselves from persecution. To boast in themselves, all the while placing the Galatians under a law that they can't keep. And this is the issue, an issue with legalism. It places a heavy burden on others, all the while being a hypocrite. It happens every single time. They are happy to tell others to keep the law while themselves not keeping the law. They'll point out your sin, but they don't see their own sin. But a legalist feels righteous to command others in righteousness. We see here a mark of false religion. Legalism which results in hypocrisy. It's placing unders, other, under the law while not keeping the law. It stems from a slavish fear that wants to please man, not God. And it boasts in and gives much weight to one's accomplishments and works. But most importantly, it does not boast in the cross of Christ. The gospel. And this brings us to the second point, the true marks. Verse 14. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So true mark of Christianity is boasting only in the cross of Christ. The word boasting means to glory in. To rejoice in, to be delighted in. It's what makes one leap for joy above anything else. It's what drives and energizes a person. Now obviously Paul is not talking about the wood of the cross. Rather he's talking about the work of Christ. It's the culmination of all his work of salvation. Of God becoming a man. Born of a woman, born under the law in order to bear the burden of it for us. The law required us to do it perfectly. Do this perfectly if you want to live. You want eternal life? Do the law perfectly. But we haven't done it perfectly. The one who represented us failed in it. And so we already fall short from the time we are born. But God sent His Son to become a man. To be a new federal head. To represent us perfectly. And He did by keeping the law perfectly. He did it so that we would live. And then He became a curse for us. In order to bear that penalty for us. So that we would not have to bear any of it. Ever. That all our sins are forgiven for His name's sake. We're freed from that. And when we believe this, when we get this, then we boast in Him. Why would I boast in anything else? What causes more joy than this? And we who have believed in Him have been crucified with Him, buried with Him, raised with Him, seated with Him in the heavenly places. And we are waiting for Him to come back. Not fearful that we may not have been good enough to pass His judgment, but knowing that He took all the judgment for us, that we have His righteousness credited to us, which is perfect righteousness, and that when He comes back, He will bring us home to His eternal presence. 
Notice Paul says that he only boasts in this. Now, it's not to say that Paul never rejoices or gets happy about anything else or doesn't bring encouragement to others. Rather, this is saying that when it comes to salvation and works, there's only, only one work to boast in. There's only one work to rejoice in. And none of ours whatsoever. That Paul says in Ephesians 2, it's by grace you have been saved and not of yourselves. It is the free gift of God, not of works, so that no man may boast. The one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. There is nothing added to the work of Christ, not circumcision, not baptism, not our efforts at putting sin to death, not our efforts at growing. Nothing is added at all to the all-sufficient work of Christ, our Savior. But the one who does not boast in the cross alone doesn't see the Gospels of God. Yeah, 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 I already believe that, but now I want to talk about what I need to do to be a better person, to be more righteous, not feel so guilty about my lack of righteousness, so I don't need to see my failures. I want to cover my failures with my own successes in obedience, with my own righteousness. I want to achieve that. And if I can't do that, then what's the point? Just give me some principles to improve my life or some works to do that I may feel useful, purposeful, and important. There is a deceitful boasting in one's works, not realizing that it is depending on ourselves. It is finding our identity in our works. It is someone who's drawn towards the law and thinks that strong exhortation to stir up what lies, our abilities that lies within, is what is going to change us. But this leads to being, one, despairing, but two, very sensitive to criticism, how we are viewed and seeking acceptance and affirmation like the false teachers were from the Jewish leaders. However, even in our good works, we boast in the cross of Christ. For it's only by virtue of our union with Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection, being crucified with Christ, that we are freed from our sin and now have life in Christ to begin to bear fruit. And this is why Paul goes on to say that it is by the cross of Christ that the world has been crucified to Him and He to the world. The world refers to the fallen realm of humanity that's dead in trespasses and sins, led by Satan, enslaved to sin. It is a world that is without God and without hope. It is a world that does not see the light of the Gospel, of the glory of God in the face of Christ. It is as John says in 1 John 2, living in the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, the deeds of the flesh. In Galatians 5, it is finding one's hope in this life, living for this world, and therefore drawn away from living for Christ and His glory. It's being charmed by the world. Finding one's values in the things that the world finds value in. And Scripture says that whoever loves this world is an enemy of God and the love of the Father is not in him. But it is through the cross that the world is crucified to us. 
And I want you to notice, this is not just the world becomes a little less on our list of priorities. Rather, it says crucified. Put to death. The world is put to death to us. Through our union with Christ, our old self, that worldly person is buried in the grave. And we come out a new person. We are now alive to God. We live by the Spirit. And the life of Christ is now in us. We die to this world. We are delivered from Satan. Delivered from enslavement to sin. Delivered from love of this fallen world. We have been transferred out of His kingdom of darkness and into His kingdom of light. We do not value what the world values. While we are still in this world, we are no longer of the world. And Paul says that he is also crucified to the world. That is, he is dead to the world. The world sees us as dead to it. Not only have we rejected the world, but the world has rejected us. Jesus said in John 15, 19, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Why we do want to be loving and kind at all times. And we do want to adorn our profession of the gospel, not give the enemy an occasion to blaspheme and glorify God. Yet, we don't embrace the world's values and become like the world in order to win people. The world will hate us for standing on the truth. It is not authentic Christianity to try to be like the world and embrace the world's values to win it over. Rather, we die to the world, we die to our old self when we truly believe in Christ, when we truly believe in His work on the cross for us. And this is why Paul goes on to say in verse 15, For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. So whether or not someone gets part of their flesh snipped off, or whether they don't, means nothing. Counts for nothing. Matters for nothing. Rather, what matters is a new creation. Not fleshly circumcision, but circumcision of the heart done by the Holy Spirit. And we can replace circumcision with any religious activity or rule. Whether you drink alcohol without getting drunk, of course, or you don't drink it, doesn't count for anything as it pertains to your righteousness before God. Whether you hold to this area of liberty or you don't hold to this area of liberty counts for nothing before God. God, it adds nothing to your righteousness. It doesn't change you any. What counts, as Paul says here, is a new creation. A new creation means that you've died to your old self. And that can only come through the cross of Christ, through union with Him. It's when you pass out of death and into life by dying with Christ, being crucified with Him, and being raised with Him in His resurrection as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone is in Christ, that's union with Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new has come. Putting on any religiosity or trying to follow some rules is like dressing a corpse and saying, now it's alive. 
Rather, that corpse needs to be raised from its deadness to new life by the power of the Spirit. Then it can be dressed to serve the Lord. Then verse 16, And as for those who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. When Paul says rule here, he's speaking about a truth to live by. The truth he is referring to is what he just said. That circumcision or uncircumcision counts for anything, but rather a new creation. Rather a new creation. What matters is not trying to have rules to follow, to be righteous before God or to be a good Christian, but rather what counts is being crucified with Christ through faith in Him. Therefore, dying to this world, being a partaker of new creation, being partaker of the world to come. And therefore, once you are free, then you can begin to live in obedience to God's commandments, although you won't do it perfectly. But this is where there is true peace and mercy. And so Paul declares this benediction of peace and mercy upon those who follow this truth. To those who have trusted in Christ have been made new. Then he adds, and upon the Israel of God. And upon the Israel of God. Now there's been much controversy over this verse over the last 150 years or so with the the dawn of dispensationalism. Dispensationalists say that Paul is uh, declaring a blessing on two separate groups. He's declaring a blessing on Gentile Galatians and then ethnic Israel. On the other hand, covenant theologians say that Paul is talking about the true Israel, which consists of both Jews and Gentiles, all true believers. They point out that the Greek word for and here can also mean even. So the verse says, peace and mercy be upon them, even the Israel of God, or that is the Israel of God. Now this would be saying that the Israel of God are those who follow this rule, those who don't look to circumcision or any religious rules, but are a new creation in Christ. Now I think that is the way it's to be understood, that it's Jew and Gentile in one body is the true Israel. And it's not based on the, the word, what word and means i think that you really can't establish it by just focusing on that word rather you take the whole of what paul's been saying in this letter that submitting to circumcision the old covenant or jewish laws does not make you an adopted child of god paul said back in chapter three that here there is neither jew nor greek and then immediately goes on to say that if you believe in christ You are Abraham's offspring. You are Abraham's offspring. Paul says that even though you do not share Abraham's DNA and you're not in the family tree, yet you are his offspring if you believe in Christ. What a thing to say to those who are not Jews. You're his offspring. What makes a Jew a Jew? Somebody who has Abraham as their father the father of Jews. And Paul says, you're his offspring. If you believe in Christ, you have Sarah as your mother even. You're a part of the Jerusalem above, the heavenly Jerusalem. You're adopted sons of God and true heirs, as Paul says. And in line with this, Paul says in Philippians 3.3 to Gentile, the Gentile Philippians, we, both Jews and Greeks, are the circumcision. Paul is saying, in a way that spites the Judaizers here in Galatians, 
peace and mercy be upon the true and authentic Israel, the true offspring of Abraham, those who follow this rule of not circumcision, but a new creation through our union with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection, and therefore heirs. It's not the circumcised who is the Israel of God, but the new creation, the circumcised of heart. And Paul then speaks about his marks that bear witness to his true, authentic Christianity in verse 17. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. When Paul says, let no one cause me trouble, he's saying, don't reject my apostolic ministry. Don't reject my gospel. Don't put words in my mouth and say that I'm teaching circumcision. Receive what I say and believe it. He expects him to embrace his teaching, which is from God, without wavering and not be led astray by the false teachers. And the reason he gives for this is that he bears on his body the marks of Jesus, which is referring to the persecution for the cross of Christ, the several blows and beatings that he has taken from the Jews for teaching the gospel, something that the false teachers are seeking to avoid. You see what, what Paul's doing here. I have marks on my body from the Jews. They're marks of persecution. They may have marks of circumcision, but I have the real marks of an authentic Christianity. And so believe me based on that. And then Paul ends his letter in a customary way with a benediction. Verse 18, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. The grace of our Lord is this free and a merited favor, which can never cease to flow to us because it's not based on our works whatsoever. And so therefore, we can't do anything to get it to stop flowing to us because it's grace and not works. This Paul blesses his hearers with, desiring that this grace be with our spirits, that is, we know this grace within, it resonates in our hearts, that we're thoroughly convinced of God's free favor towards us, and we know this as we know the true gospel that Paul has preached. The gospel of God. The gospel that says justification, that is being declared righteous, being declared just as if you were just, comes through faith apart from works, no works whatsoever. It is not living under the principle of do this and live. Keep the law. Try to measure up. Try to be righteous. Try to reform yourself if you want to live and avoid God's judgment. Rather, it's the other principle of the righteous shall live by faith. He who is righteous only by faith, only by trusting in Christ, resting in Him, receiving Him, that one will live. That one has eternal life. That is how someone has a righteous standing before God and therefore lives. This is how we are a true child of Abraham and Sarah and a true adopted son of God and dwelt with the Holy Spirit and dwelt with the Spirit of His Son by whom we cry, Abba, Father, citizens of the heavenly Jerusalem, the truly circumcised, freed from our sin, freed from the laws and covenant of works so that we may begin to live to God as a new creation. This results in having mercy and peace rest on us knowing the grace of Christ within being blessed. Let us believe this gospel always. 
Let us love this gospel. Let us treasure this gospel. Let us defend this gospel, proclaim this gospel, and let us gladly receive this gospel every Lord's Day as something we need for, as nourishment for our souls. For this is the gospel of God. And this is the power of God alone for salvation, which includes regeneration, justification, and sanctification to everyone who believes it. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask that you would help our unbelief. We are so thankful for this gospel. We're thankful that sometimes, though it may seem too good to be true, it is true that you give a free gift that we simply believe on Christ and are saved from our sins forever. And we have this hope of eternal life. And while we struggle and suffer in this world, yet this world is fleeting. And while we suffer for a little while in this world, the glory that's to be revealed in us far outweighs that. And we long for that day. And we are confident that we will, we who believe are participants of that day, not because of any works that we have done or any uh, attempts at reformation we have done in our own life that we have reformed ourselves enough, but rather because of Christ's righteousness and blood alone. And so we are so thankful for that. And we ask that this would be our anchor and hope in times of trouble. And that knowing the peace and mercy of having our sins forgiven for Christ's sake. As he sings in Jesus' name, amen. Was a song. You have been listening to a message from Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To receive more information about Trinity Bible Church or to support the ministry, go to tbcwyoming.com. That is tbcwyoming.com.